in your Bibles or open up your uh, Bible app on your phone to the book of Exodus. We have uh, returned to the book of Exodus uh, for, uh, we were in there for a long time, uh, a while ago, and now we're back to the book of Exodus. And so um, we were in Exodus last week. Oh, we all right there, back there? All right, we're good, we're good. Uh, And uh, so we're back in the book of Exodus. Last week, we kind of looked at a recap of some of the things uh, that we had walked through. And today, we're going to be looking at uh, a couple of things, uh, another recap uh, as we move forward into uh, where we were in the book of Exodus to pick it up. Well, have you guys ever received a piece of mail that you just don't open? Because you know what it is. You kind of know what it is. It's like a bill or something, some sort of thing, and you're like, you just pretend it doesn't exist, and you just kind of leave it there. Or, or maybe it's not a piece of mail. Uh, mail just kind of sits everywhere at our house. Um, but uh, don't send me any mail. <laughs> I'll open it way later. I always forget. Uh, but, uh, or, or maybe it's a text message or an email that you receive, and you know what it's going to say, and so you just pretend it doesn't exist. You just kind of leave it there. Because you're afraid of actually reading it and then having to respond to it. Or maybe it's something more significant. There's something going on in your life, uh, some sort of physical pain or something, and you know you need to get it checked out, but you're actually nervous to get it checked out because you're nervous of what the results will say. Or feeling a little bit sick and you're like, "Ah, I should get a COVID test, but I don't really want to because if it's positive, what do I do? Like, right? No one's had that thought, right? right? I think actually that thought of like, we're afraid of what this is going to say or what this is going to do for us, so we're just going to avoid it, is kind of how we treat the law of God. Like, we're pretty okay with most of the New Testament. And even portions of the Old Testament were like, hey, those are some great stories, some narratives. Uh, We're going to probably leave Revelation alone, or we're only going to read Revelation, both of which are problems. Um, We might leave the prophets alone because they're a little scary, but we're definitely not going to read the law because we just don't want to do it. We're actually just afraid of what it's going to say to us. We kind of know what it says, but we're just like, well, let's just leave that alone because then I can say, well, you know, maybe God's okay with this. Maybe he's not. He didn't really say anything about it because I'm just not going to read it. It's really how we treat the law often. Now, for the next few weeks and months, really, we're going to be kind of diving into the law of God. Uh, We had gotten ourselves up to, in the book of Exodus, to the giving of the Ten Commandments, and we were partway through the Ten Commandments when the pandemic hit, and we kind of uh, uh, switched gears a couple of different ways. But we're going to spend some time in God's law. And so this morning, what I want to do is give us an overview of what do we do with God's law? How do we interact with it? What are we going to look to and kind of give us some parameters as we walk through these things so that we can kind of know where we're going? So Exodus chapter 19. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe not. You clicked on proclaim. Maybe. Oh, okay. Well, you're just going to have to do it. (laughs) Sorry. We had it working last week. I don't don't know. All right. Uh, Exodus 19, 1 through 6. 
Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephimdah, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called, him to, called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the people of the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. All right, last week we looked at what it meant for Israel to be uh, taken out of Egypt. And that God had finally delivered them after 430 years of suffering. God had finally delivered them. And he delivers them and they go out into the wilderness. And then God decides to meet with them on the mountain. And to give him, give them his law. Now, the first thing we need to notice about this is that uh, last week we looked at how God remembered his covenant. And we see that word come up here again, if you will keep my covenant. There's a covenant structure to the way in which the law works, which means we, remember a covenant is a relationship of both law and love between God and his people. God uh, agrees to be our God and we would be his people and there are certain things that God requires of us in that and ways in which God's going to respond to that. But a covenant structure implies that there's already a relationship. So often we read the law isolated from the rest of the scriptures. But the law comes in a context. And he says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, did he do that before or after he gave them the law? Before. It's not just that God is saying like, hey, I want you to keep these laws And if you do so, and if I see a long enough track record of you keeping this law, then I will be your God. No, he's already said, I am your God. And I already know that you're not going to do this very well. But I am your God. Now, here is my law. Right? And so we need to understand, first and foremost, that the law comes within a covenant structure, meaning that there is salvation first and law second. And only by God's grace can these things be done. We also need to know that it's very clear that the point of the law is to experience God. What does he say? If you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from all among all the peoples of the earth. You will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. You see how he does not say, if you keep this law, everything is going to go great in your life. If you will just do X, Y, and Z, life will go great. No, the point of the law is to experience God. So we have a covenant structure to the law, meaning that there is a relationship established first between God and his people. Then he's going to give the law. And the point of the law is to experience God. Now, Israel has some options. What are they going to do when it comes to the law? So Israel has, I think, three options when it comes to the law, and those are actually our options as well. First, we can run from it. We can run from the law. 
Second, we can live by it. Or third, we can walk with it. Right? That's what we're going to look at this morning. What does it mean to run from the law? What does it mean to live by the law? And finally, what does it mean to walk with the law? The first response that we can have is this response that I talked about in the opening, right? Is run from the law. Pretend it doesn't exist. Just pretend it doesn't exist. Just ignore it. Now, why would we do that? I think it's because we're afraid of what the law will reveal about us. We're afraid of what it will say. And so we just ignore it. We say things like, well, the law is antiquated. It has to go. We clearly know better today in our modern society than what these people knew about. Right? We clearly just know better, right? We engage often in what C.S. Lewis calls chronological snobbery. That we are... Just so much wiser and better. Just spend 20 minutes on Twitter and you will know that that is not true. We're just not so much wiser and better. Yes, we do have more accumulated knowledge because we stand on the backs of those who have gone before us in history. However, we do not have more individual wisdom or moral authority. Perhaps we need to be more humble and listen to voices from around the world and throughout history. We just think that we should ignore God's law. That we know better how to live our life. But ultimately, ignoring God's law ignores God himself. We open this service with Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, which talk about God being revealed in the world in all the things that he created. But Psalm 19 goes on to say how God is also revealed says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are, de- are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. When's the last time you described God's law in this way? This is the way in which the psalmist describes God's law. Why? Because it reveals who he is. Nature. And creation and all that God has done in the universe reveals his power and his glory and who he is. And the second half of this psalm is also true that God reveals himself through his law. God reveals his character, his goodness through his law. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, certainly the psalmist speaks that way, but don't we think that God speaks through Jesus now? Right? Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says this. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. All right. See? Old Testament, they responded to the law. They thought it was great and more desirable than gold. But we have Jesus. So we can ignore the law. Well, the problem with that is Jesus and the rest of the New Testament, 
Romans 3.21 says this, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. We're going to come back to that in a moment. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. In Greek, the writings of Moses just says the law. So what Paul is saying in Romans is, if you want to know the gospel, it's promised in the law. We can't ignore the law to focus on Jesus because the law itself is what promised Jesus. We can't get rid of the law and just take Jesus. Also, Jesus won't let us do that. In Matthew 5, 17 to 20, he says this, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is outlining some tension that we see in the midst of the law. He says, the law is good. It's perfect. It's really good. It reveals God's character and none of it is going to go away. It's going to be accomplished by me. It's going to be fulfilled by me. And we're going to spend the next few weeks, months talking about what that means for us and what do we do with certain uh, obscure feeling laws and all that. So we'll get to how that way works out. But the point of this is to say that Jesus says, no, you don't get to throw this out. In fact, you, not only do you not get to throw this out, but you need to exceed the righteousness of those who teach the law. That is, that's going to be hard. Like that's not going to work. We'll get to what he means by that here in a moment, but the reality of what he's trying to say is you can't ignore the law. It exists. God is revealed by it, and you can't just ignore it. Well, if we run from God's law, we ignore the law and ignore God through it, but we also ignore judgment. Again, we think the idea of judgment is an antiquated idea. Like, we're beyond that. We are modern, intelligent people. We don't believe that God judges. And yet, Ephesians 5, 6 says this, Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. If we're going to say that we uh, believe in Jesus, we need to reckon with God's judgment. There are really good reasons, and, and if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're kind of checking this out, you're probably like, what did I get myself into this morning? It's okay, we'll, we'll land the plane, we'll come back around, it's okay. And it's okay to be in the midst of that and not know where you're at in the midst of that struggle, but I would say to you that there are very good reasons to believe that the historical Jesus actually lived. And if you want to talk more about that, I would love to sit down and talk 
with anyone who has questions about what that means. But I think there are very good, reasonable reasons. The, the, the Christian faith is not like some like blind leap of faith, like jumping out this window and being like, well, God's going to catch me. Like, that's not what it is. There are very good reasons to believe that Jesus really lived and he really taught. And he speaks of hell and judgment more than any other New Testament writer. And there's really good reasons to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That, that, that actually makes the most sense when you lay aside, uh, most scholars that look at that actually come to the text and are not honest with their own anti-supernatural bias. But we should actually be honest with our biases and say, hey, I might have an anti-supernatural bias here. But when you really examine the evidence, it makes the most sense out of the evidence that Jesus really walked out of the tomb. And if you walk out of the tomb, I'm going with that guy. Just like the Egyptians who saw God show up in the Exodus, saw the plagues, saw what God did, and they said, Pharaoh, sorry, we're going with them because this is a God who's real and we're going to follow now, maybe some of you are thinking, okay, no, I don't, I'm not in that camp. I don't ignore the law. Maybe some other Christians ignore that, or maybe people who don't follow Jesus, but I don't ignore the law. I don't ignore uh, um, judgment. But the question is, do you still run from the law by ignoring the Holy Spirit and his conviction? Ignoring the Holy Spirit and his conviction Those of us who do follow Jesus, we know what the law really does say. And the Holy Spirit gently reminds us what God has said, and we ignore it because we want to keep disobeying. Because we can't remember who we really are, and so we ignore the conviction, we ignore the tug, we ignore what the Holy Spirit is saying, and we just push it down and wait until it goes away. Judging by your blank stares, I think it's only me that does that, so I'm sorry. But I think, right, if we're honest with ourselves, we know what it means to push down the Holy Spirit and ignore that conviction. John 16, 8 through 11, Jesus says this, And when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. The Holy Spirit's job is to come. God is going to come in the person of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, including us. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved from, on the day of redemption. If you have trusted in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You have God's Spirit, and he is there to alert you to the ways in which you are wayward from God. He is there to gently remind you of God's word of what he says to remind you of the law and to remind you of the ways in which we are running away from God. Now, we need to be careful here, right? Because sometimes we hear, and we talked about this a lot when we were looking at at, uh, the uh, armor of God in Ephesians, right? Sometimes we hear the accusations of Satan. We need to know 
what it sounds like when Satan is accusing our flesh and when the Holy Spirit is gently reminding us that we've gone astray. Those are two very, very different things. If you feel a general sense of unworthiness and that God hates you, that's not the Holy Spirit. If it's a specific thing that says, hey, remember that thing I said? It's probably the Holy Spirit. Reminding you of God's word, reminding you, I have purchased you. You are not your sin. You are not identified by your sin. You are mine, and I love you. Now come back, right? The point of the law, remember, is that we would experience God. And so the Holy Spirit's conviction in our lives is to help us experience God. Well, ignoring the Holy Spirit's conviction or ignoring judgment or ignoring the law completely leads to us trying to know God's love without his holiness. Trying to know God's love only but not his holiness, which in the end means we don't know God because God is holy. So what's the other option? Well, Jesus said we've got to be more righteous than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So let's live by the law. Let's live by the law. Let's try that. What does it mean to live by the law? Well, it means that we're trying to seek to find our life in obeying the law. Seeking to be made right by doing the right thing. This is how Often, we sort of oscillate between the two, right? We ignore God's law for a while, and then we feel some conviction, and so we say, all right, I'm going to buckle down and live by the law. I'm going to work really hard, put things in place so that I don't sin anymore. I'm going to do everything right. You know what that ends up looking like for us? Well, first, we measure our relationship with God by our sin. When I was on staff with crew, I would meet with students for discipleship, and so often I would meet with guys, and I finally told them we need to stop doing this, but I would meet with guys, and they would say, I would say, you know, how's your relationship with the Lord? And they'd be like, well, I didn't do this this week. I didn't do that this week. You know, I didn't sin this bad this week or whatever. And it was kind of like, this feels like if I asked you if you were married and how your relationship with your spouse was, and you're like, well, I didn't hit her this week. It's like, that, but that's not really describing a relationship. You're describing things that you haven't done to a person. Not describing a relationship. You see, when we seek to live by the law, what we do is we measure the value of our relationship with God by how we're doing or how we're not doing. The only thing that we do, the only time we experience God is when we're repenting of sin or thinking about our sin, but we never actually experience any of the positive character of God. Uh, No leading of God in my life, no uh, trusting in him, no experiencing just the goodness of his character, just relating to him on the basis of my sin. We try and measure our relationship by our sin, which leads us because, you know, there's this problem that we have in that we are all sinners. And so we have this problem that if we're measuring our relationship with God by our sin, our relationship's never in very good status, is it? You see, we then measure God's love for us by our performance. God's love to me is always tied by how I'm doing at performing the law. Meaning, 
when I'm doing good, when I'm not sinning in whatever way, disobeying in thought, word, or deed what God has told me not to do by doing that, or by not doing what he's told me to do, when I'm doing good in that, I just sort of ignore God because I don't feel any guilt or shame. But when I'm doing poor in that, I feel heaping shame. Right? I come to church and I sit down and I have this burden, this pit in my stomach because I'm like, I'm so unholy compared to these people. And if they only knew what I did, they would not sit next to me. If they only knew, they wouldn't be around me. And God knows, and he just hates me because of it. He hates me. Because of things I've done in the past, because of things I've done in the present, because of things that were done to me, I feel shame and guilt constantly. And I can't get out of it. I feel worthless. I feel like God can't use me and that he doesn't particularly like me. That's how I feel. Because I'm measuring God's love for me based on my performance to the law which means I'm trying to live by the law. And as someone here in this congregation would say, if you live by the code, you're going to die by the code. Right, Chris Mack? And it kills us. But not only does it affect our relationship with God, it affects our relationship with others. We measure our love for others by their performance to the law as well. If God works this way, we actually begin, if we think God works this way, we begin to operate this way. So based on how other people act is how we treat them. Now, we don't actually consider whether people are following Jesus or not, but if they commit certain taboo sins, they are unworthy of my love and care. Now, I might not say that, but if I take an honest look at my life, I live that way. Right? Like if you have committed some sin according to the scriptures, well, we're not even going to ask whether you're following Jesus or believe in that or any of those things, right? But we are going to say you're unworthy of love. Why? Because we're measuring their worth by the law. It also is true when it comes to those who have sinned against us. They don't deserve love, care, or forgiveness. Now, there's a difference, I've talked about this a lot, there's a difference between trust and forgiveness, right? Um, if you've been harmed by someone in a relationship, uh, friendship or whatever, like it is, there's a difference between forgiving them and trusting them again, and that's a different process. But we don't even forgive and we don't even love and, and don't think that that person's worthy of love and care because they've sinned. Because we measure them by their performance to the law. It doesn't work, does it? This living by the law isn't going to work. We're not going to be able to do this because really at the end of the day, no one measures up. Romans 7, 9 through 10, Paul says this, At one time I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which are supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. This is how it works. If we run from the law, we're ignoring it, pretending like it doesn't exist, and yet it still weighs on us heavily. 
And if we try to live by the law, this thing that we think is going to finally give us life, if I could just obey these things, the problem is as soon as I know what I'm supposed to obey, what do I do? Just like a child, I disobey. (laughs) As soon as I know what I'm not uh, supposed to do, guess what I start doing? That very thing. This is why I believe that the scriptures are inspired by God and written uh, without error because if I read that sentence, isn't that your life experience completely? Soon as I know what the law is, it's what I end up doing. Even if I'm not honest about it, in my heart, that's what I end up doing. This leads to us knowing God's holiness without his love. And in the end, we think, God hates us. This is how we think. And so we run from it even more. Well, we are not left here. Romans 3, 19 through 20 says this. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law shows us that we can't live by it. Elsewhere, Paul says this in Galatians 3, 10 through 12, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. What Paul is saying here in Galatians, and we went through the book of Galatians a couple of years ago, what Paul is saying here in the book of Galatians is, Galatians, you are misunderstanding the law's purpose. It was never meant for you to try and make yourself right by. Remember, what, we, what did we say when God meets with Moses? What does he say? I saved you. Now here's the law. It was never meant to be the way of salvation. It was never meant for that. Which is why you can't live by the law. No one can be made right by the law. Everyone is declared to be a sinner. Everyone is declared to be unrighteous. For the law says, everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands, all the commands, break one, you are a lawbreaker. And God is holy and righteous. Cannot be in the presence of lawbreakers. So what are we to do with the law then? Well, I want us to walk with the law. Walk with it. So how do we walk with the law? Well, first we agree with the law. We agree with the law. It shows the holy character of God. And so we agree with what God says. The first way to begin walking with the law is to reckon with, there are things in God's law and in the scriptures that I disagree with, I'm sure. Because I'm not God. And if I agree with it completely, then I would be God, right? Like, I'm going to find ways in which this hits at my life, and I'm like, I don't like the way that sounds. That's okay. But the problem is not with God, but with us, right? 
And so the first way to walk with God's law is to agree with it that he is right, that he knows what he's doing, that he knows what is right and good for us, right? I've said this before, God's law is kind of like an instruction manual. And you receive an item and get the instruction manual and you're like, yeah, I think I know better. No, the creator of the object knows better how to use the object than you do. God created you. He knows better how you thrive than you do. And we don't have to look anywhere other than our own lives to know we don't know very well how to manage our ourselves, right? To make ourselves thrive. We're kind of a mess all the time. Because God knows best how to help us thrive. So we agree with God's law. And we agree that the point of God's law is to show us how we fall short of God's law. Psalm 51, 4 through 5 says this, Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. The reality is, since the fall of man into sin, we are born sinful. We are born with a sinful nature that opposes God and runs the other direction. And what does the psalmist say here? You will be proved right in your judgment against me. God's law is correct. The problem is not with God's law. The problem is with me. The problem is with us. Now, we don't stay there. Sometimes, as Christians, when we're talking with people about Jesus, we land here and only here, and that is really terrible. That's not agreeing with the law. It's not walking with the law. The law was never meant to just say, hey, you bunch of sinners, you're wicked and terrible, and I hate you. That's not the point. The point is far greater Not only do we agree with what the law says, but we agree with grace. Galatians 3, 13 through 14. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Paul is saying the gospel is based on the law. The law says cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And who was hung on a tree for us? Jesus. He took the curse of the law in your place. It's not just that God is designed the law in such a way that it showcases that we will fall short, but it's also to highlight the way in which he is going to save us. Because Jesus takes your punishment, the curse that you deserve in, the, in your sin, he takes that on himself in the cross, and the law itself is what promised that. We have to, if we're going to walk with the law, we have to agree with the truth of the law that showcases where we fall short, and the truth of grace. That Jesus, in spite of who we are and were, loves us and comes to us. Actually, even because of who we are, he comes to us. So that he can free us from our guilt and shame, our bondage to live by the law, 
and free us to experience God's love, to experience his goodness. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If you've read through the book of Romans, this is a glorious declaration after walking through what it means to be condemned by God's law. There is no condemnation because Jesus stepped in our place and fulfilled the law for us just as he said he would. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. See, the problem is not with the law, but with us. We can't do it. We can't obey. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. This is good news. You see, the reason we struggle so much with God's law is because we put it in the wrong place. It can't save us. It can't save you. But God has already done that. God has already declared, if you are trusting in Jesus, God has declared no condemnation for you. Not only no condemnation, but the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. You know, there's two aspects of that. One is that Jesus bears the punishment that you deserve for breaking the law. The other is Jesus gives you his obedience for obeying the law. You know, when, we, when, when Paul says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, he's not just saying, hey, you get a blank slate, go try again. No, he's saying you get Jesus' obedience as if you did it. The law is so glorious because what it shows us is what we get in Jesus. It's not just every time we see a spot in which we've disobeyed. It's not just that we can say Jesus died so that I don't face the punishment for that. He also obeyed in that place so that God looks at you as though you obeyed in that place. This is the glorious good news of the gospel. That the whole of the law is satisfied in Jesus. Both the punishment and the fulfillment of the obedience is satisfied in Jesus, which is why we now can agree with the Holy Spirit, have God convict us of sin gently by the Holy Spirit, and pursue a life of godliness. We can now agree with God's law and pursue a life of godliness in the Spirit. Paul goes on in Romans 8 to say, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of, the sinful, of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You, if you are following Jesus, have no condemnation before God. And you have no obligation to your sinful nature. No obligation. Jesus has removed your sinful nature. 
He's put it to death. It's done. It's over. You don't have to obey it anymore. You now have the righteousness of Jesus and the Holy Spirit to live in the way that God has designed you to live. To live for the thriving and wholeness of being a human made in God's image in relationship with your Creator. This is the good news of the, of the law and the gospel is that the law convicts us of sin. We receive forgiveness from Jesus by the gospel and then we get to actually go obey the law in freedom, not seeking to live by it, but thriving in holiness as those made in God's image and be conformed to the person of Jesus. Paul goes on in Romans 8 to say, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Uh, We look at Romans 8 oftentimes to look at uh, God choosing us for salvation, choosing us for forgiveness. What did he choose us for? To be like Jesus. He chose you to be holy like Jesus. To reflect who Jesus is. To reflect his law keeping. And so the law is really important for us to look at, not simply to be convicted of sin and to run to Jesus, but also to know, hey, what does it mean to love God and love neighbor? Like, how do we do that? Because Jesus says the whole of the law is fulfilled in loving God and loving neighbor. But what does it mean to love God and love neighbor? Because that sounds great, but it's really hard to do. You got any practicals? Yeah, here, look at my law. This is how you love God and how you love neighbor. This leads to us knowing God's holy love. It gives us the freedom to love God because he accepts us and loves us, not because of some standard we try and fail to meet. And it gives us the freedom to love others because of how God has loved us, not by how they have lived up to some standard. We get the freedom to obey God because we are being conformed to Jesus and walking in congruence with how God has made us to be. And so as we walk through the law together, this is what I want us to do, to walk with it on its path, to showcase our sin, to highlight God's grace, to run to Jesus in the midst of seeing our sin, to know that we've been forgiven by Jesus and we've been made righteous by Jesus, and then to see, hey, now that I'm forgiven and free in Christ, I'm to love God and love neighbor, and how do I do that practically? And the law helps us to know how to do that practically. So as we walk through this, This is where we were going to go. We're going to be walking through these pieces. And there's challenging stuff in here, guys. Not not saying this whole sermon is so that it's like, oh, it's super easy. Just, it's Jesus. That's the answer. No, like there's some tension in the law. There's some hard places for what does it look like for us in this context, in this place and time to figure out this stuff. Like there's going to be some tension. But we're always going to come back to this. That God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. That he has done what the law cannot do. Now that we've been freed and forgiven, we're going to trust God, the Holy Spirit, and live our lives in dependence upon him. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you now, believing that your law is good, but God, some of us are struggling with that. There are 
many things that could cause us to struggle with belief that God's law is good. So Lord, I ask that you would come by your Holy Spirit now and meet each one of us where we're at. Some of us need to be comforted. Some of us are hard on ourselves. We beat ourselves up and think that you don't love us because we try to live by the law. Would you comfort us with the words of Jesus? Would you comfort us with the words that Paul shares that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Would you comfort us, Holy Spirit, by your love? Some of us are running from you. Some of us are running from your law. So God, would you come and would you comfort us by your grace just the same? It is your kindness that leads us to repentance. God, would you show us that your law is more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey because it leads us to you? And would we run to you? Spirit, would you be at work wherever we're at to meet us where we need you? We pray in Christ's name, amen.